0: Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is where we will be this morning. I want to welcome every single one of you, especially if this is your first time, as already was mentioned. We are rejoicing in the fact that you are here. You you know me, I I like straight lines. And if you recall, January the first month, on January the 1st, we began Genesis 1, verse 1, first chapter get this by god's plan alone certainly not mine this is the 12th month and we are beginning genesis chapter 12 there's just a lot of mess in between but that's okay we're on schedule at this point we'll be out of genesis by 2028 nine no um i just am so i was listening to the announcements and the different people um they're telling us what's going on at Big Woods. And as your shepherd, I am just so blessed and so encouraged to be surrounded by so many with good hearts that are that, that are serving one another, serving the Lord, serving our community. I was reminded just this week that the greatest force for good in the entire world is the local church of Jesus Christ. Um, I tell you what, you better pay attention. You got aim you got fit you got prc and pancakes and lights you better pay attention you snooze you lose around here so you got to learn what those things are i was given a word as well just a brief correction aim on thursday nights which stands for adventures in motherhood is not meeting this coming thursday night Um, That was canceled, just so that you are aware of that. That's my job on the announcements this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we look into the Word of God this morning? Let's pray together. Father, we come this morning, and as we awoke to the sound of rain on the roof, pouring We are reminded, Lord, of the blessings that literally are being poured out over us through the work of your Son, Jesus. And now we gather by your grace alone, in your house, in in warmth, with your word opened up before us. A perfect word. It is without error. Lord, your Spirit is present. And not only is your spirit present, but I am thankful for the truth that your spirit is powerful. And that there's never a word that we read or study that you've given to us from the Bible that does not return void. And we thank you for that. And now, Lord, for a few moments... As, as the busyness of this season seems to have launched 1,000 miles an hour, I would pray right now that everything would slow down to hear from you and you alone. Father, please help me guide my words, my mouth, my tongue, the meditations of my heart. May everything bring glory to you and to you alone. And Lord, before we begin, I, I think, and, and I don't know who or, or what circumstances, but I pray for people right now that are, that are either sitting here under my voice or those that are listening online that are in the midst of heartache. God, I would ask that you administer to them. Free them from that through yourself. And through the good news that has been brought to us. Oh, how we love you, Lord. And we thank you for your love for us. Bless us now. We ask this in the amazing and matchless and wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord, the Messiah. Amen and amen. Okay, last week we were introduced very briefly, if you caught that in the end of chapter 11, to a key character. A key character not not only in all of the Old Testament, not only in all of biblical history, but in all of the history of the world. To this very day, which is about 3,500 years after this, Jews, Muslims, and Christians all esteem what Father Abraham as the father of nations. There was a couple little details if you were paying attention that we know that that abram was the son of tara he's from ur and if you if you remember they had recently traveled from ur about 600 miles northwest along the euphrates river people traveled along rivers to a place called terran we know that he had a wife whose name was sarah and she was barren And at this point of the narrative, we really don't know much more than that. That's that's all the facts, in a sense, that we've been given. So let's pick it up directly. Our text before us, I'll be reading the first four plus verses of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 4a, the word of the Lord. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. The word of the Lord. Three points I want to give to you this morning. The first one simply is examining the plight. I call it the plight of Abram. In a sense, he was Grown he had grown up and he was surrounded by evil. I don't know if people are aware of that or not, but his homeland, Ur of Chaldees in Mesopotamia, just northwest of the city of Babel Babylon, was a place of great civilization and prosperity. To give you just a little bit of a glimpse into that culture from 1922 to 1934 British archaeologist Sir Leonard Woolley excavated the ancient city of Ur which is in southern Iraq for 13 years he dug and all the major newspapers the entire world followed his progress he wrote a detailed map during this exact time of Abram that was part of what it was referred to as the treasures of the royal tombs of Ur, and it traveled the world. In it, it included the ziggurat-topped temples of Nana, the moon god, the palace of ur the temples of Ningal, moon god's wife, and Engi, the god of wisdom and water. And there was detailed drawings of walls and harbors. But people weren't as drawn to those details as they were drawn to what was found and and what was detailed in Queen Puabi's gorgeously decorated body. Her corpse had been exhumed. There was an incredible golden headdress and beaded cape. There were gold beech leaf wreaths encrusted with carnelian. There were vessels of gold and silver and ivory. But that's still not what attracted people, what drew people's attention. You see, surrounding her body were 74 other bodies of her personal servants who were all offered as human sacrifices upon the queen's Passing, it literally became known as the great death pit all of the splendor and the opulence and all of the wonder lay, lay hidden for thousands of years until it was on earth by sir leonard which reveals something to us. This reveals the truth that this was not only a wealthy place and a prosperous place and a place of so called sophistication, it was a place of paganness, where there is deep, dark, and the most desperate evil that could possibly exist. When you think about human sacrifices, Ur was completely desolate. Of any knowledge of the one true God. In many ways, even before we get into this, I was writing this message this week and, and I thought about where we live in our own country. A place of wealth. A place certainly where there has been a constant pursuit of, of wisdom. There have been incredible, great achievements and accomplishments in our own nation and you probably can't go too many places here in America and find a temple that is dedicated to the God or the goddess of the Moon, but there is still worship that takes place all over. worship of success and prosperity. It's very commonplace that we hear what well, we don't need God. He's outdated. He's out of touch. We have science, nanotechnology, satellites, artificial intelligence. And there are what? There are idols being worshipped. Idols of comfort and pleasure and entertainment and sports, clothing and appearance. I thought it was most fascinating. I looked up the definition of idol and what comes up first is this. An image of a god used as an object of worship. And so in a sense the definition is it's just this little carved thing that you put on your shelf and worship. That's the first definition in a sense that comes up. And I was like, no, no, that's not actually what we're talking about. We had to go all the way back to the what? The American Dictionary of the English Language Webster's in 1828 that actually has the correct definition of what an idol is. And I quote, "...anything on which we set our affections, that to which we indulge in excessive and sinful attachments." You see, how, you see how there has been, what, words that have been hijacked today? Nobody has a little boot of are worshiping on their shelf. But there are many things that capture the affections of our hearts. And yet, looking around our own country today, I fear at some level that we are actually far, far worse off than er. And why is that? Because we know. We have knowledge. In a sense, we have been founded. It may have been a long time ago, but we've been founded on Judeo-Christian principles. We know. James 4 says what? So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. It will be held against us. You know that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, regardless of what people are telling you today. Paul continues on. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you... But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit. We, we know better, we hear these things. And yet for some reason, people are refusing to live in submission obedience. Micah chapter 6 verse 8, he has told you, oh man, what is good. You know this. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, and we hear talk about that. To love kindness, and we hear talk about that, or to walk humbly with your God. We know those things, but people aren't living before the face of God in humility. Yet you have to think about where. Abram was raised for 10 generations from Shem to Abram. People lived out the culture of Babel, as Pastor Robbie described wonderfully last week. Summarizing just a few words from chapter 11 and verse 4. And let us make a name for ourselves. Their whole identity was what? Let's us be great. Is that not somewhat reminiscent of what we hear today? And I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but isn't it interesting, as we will look at, one of the first things that God tells Abraham is what? I will make you a great name. Throughout the pages of Scripture that we carefully study, we carefully give attention to, you will very quickly see that there is a big difference between man's feeble attempts to greatness and God's promises of certain glory through the work of his son, Jesus. I could preach that, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. We'll get to that in just a little bit. It was in this place place of opulence and degradation that man was desperately and hopelessly lost except the distant promise that takes us all the way back to chapter 9. Through Shem's, line, through Shem's line, a blessing would come. Through his line, there would be one. Again, what? This is, this is what we've heard. There's one. Kind of reminds us of Noah. And that's all God needs. To put his perfect plan into place. I'm reminded of the great theological equation that i learned in my third grade sunday school class from mrs taylor who couldn't stand me as a student and my best friend tony were constantly in trouble she would often threaten to take us to the sunday school superintendent and i would say go ahead it's my dad (laughs) mrs taylor reminded me of this equation and i thank her for that god plus one equals majority. Abram was called to leave. And, and note the all-important detail of this calling. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. It's in it's an ascending order of sacrifice. Think of it like this. It's tough to leave your homeland your place of birth there's familiarity there's comforts this is your culture this is your language this is the food that you like to eat but what it's a lot more difficult it's harder to leave your kin your kindred your family this is your camaraderie with one another your closeness aunts and uncles and cousins playing and gatherings and feasts. This is, this is our history. This is our heritage. But now wait. Wait, wait. You say leave my father. Well, we, we just heard. He just died. So it's leaving what? My father's home, which is my actual home. My home. This is, this is about survival here. Our home was protection. It was provision. This was our livelihood. This was our job. This is, this is how we ate food from working together and being together in our home. This is who I am. My identity is connected to my home. And God says, yes, I, I know all of those things and I want you to leave it and I want you to leave it all. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I have a tendency of doing this, but I just, I just get excited. Doesn't, doesn't this sound a lot like the call of God in our lives as we respond to the gospel? Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself who taught in Matthew chapter 10? Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if there's tougher words that have ever been spoken. Jesus continues on in Mark chapter 8, verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels. Those words are underlined in my Bible. Whoever loses his life, a willingness to forsake and leave it all for my sake and the Gospels. That's how you will save it. You do realize what the Gospel calls us to, right? You do realize that? You're pushing all your chips in. I am betting everything on Jesus' work. It's obedience. It begins with, as we will celebrate next week, baptism, the very first step. We've made a decision in our hearts. Well, how do we know that? Well, I said I've made a decision in my heart. No, we show and identify with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, gospel calls us to obedience. The gospel calls us to sacrifice. It begins with what? Denying yourself. You will be willing to deny the entire world. It's faith. It begins with trusting God at his word. And when Jesus calls us, you have to understand he is in no way obligated to give us what? Details. He doesn't owe us that. God doesn't have to give us a a guarantee of a life of ease or a life of what? An escape plan if things don't go well or an eject seat. If it doesn't go well, if if it starts going tough, let me tell you this, it is gonna be tough. It was tough on every single one who followed that we read throughout the pages of Scripture. And yes, it is a willingness. And I I would even... Add the word joyful willingness to say goodbye to it all. I'm a. I tell you what, I want to say. As I get older, I get more like weepy or more sensitive. I think I've been a bit of a baby all my life, to tell you the truth. And and goodbyes for me. And I think it, my family have always been tough, always been tough. I don't, I don't like to say goodbye. I remember um, it was the summer of 1989. And I, I was heading out, all packed up. I, I had my, my uh, shiny... Um, 1982 silver aries k car i mean you couldn't find a speck of dirt on that and and i was heading up to maine a couple days early where i was going to be getting married When i you know she's already up there and so um i'm 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 packed up and cars packed and and i'm leaving and and I know that as I'm driving out, I know that that I have to go a couple days early. My family's all gonna be there. I'm gonna see dad, mom, it, they're, they're all gonna be there. But I know at some level that as I'm I'm driving out, like this is different than I've ever said goodbye before. And I remember I was driving, and we just passed the wittenberg I just passed the Wittenberg dump, just just by way of the Wittenberg dump. And and down the road driving, who was who actually coming back to the house, was my dad. And and I remember as as we were passing, and what I would do, I, I snapped him a salute. I would do that. He's a navy man, he loved that. As, as we passed, and and all of a sudden I just realized like I couldn't I couldn't see the road. Like it was blurry, like everything, and just tears. Like that that's my dad, and 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 I'm I'm gonna like I'm not his little tiny boy anymore. And I remember that idea that, that what I was raised in, and my identity and safety and provision, and I'm going to see him in a couple days, and, but still, it's this idea. That is what God calls us to. And on top of the plights of Abram's departure, isolation, danger, loneliness, his his plate continues on he's not alone praise god he has a wife her name is sarah but we know that his wife was barren infertility unable to conceive i have no doubt is one of the most difficult callings for any couple to endure now, in, in this particular culture, one's, one's social status, even, and wrongly so, even one's value as a person was, was dependent upon childbearing. And so it was a plight of immeasurable limitation in that day, including hardship, humiliation, embarrassment. And and we will unpack this over the next several weeks together as Abraham and Sarah's lives are kind of laid out before us. But just just hold tight to the fact when we will shortly hear this, this phrase, I will make you the father of many. Just think of the absurdity of those words, how that must have sounded and perhaps even stung for abram and we also know that what his instruction from god was vague at best speaking on god's sovereign will and we do that regularly will not always make sense to us but but hearing hearing this go just go to a land that I will show you. It, it, that pretty much takes the cake of any instruction. H- how difficult is that? He did not know Canaan was the land that God was talking about until he got there. John Calvin says it like this. I, it, it's, it's as if God is saying, I command you to go forth with closed eyes and forbid you to inquire where I am about to lead you, until having renounced your country, you shall have given yourself wholly or completely to me. Calvin says that Abram was asked to believe and obey, in Latin it's verbum nudum. He was what? He was asked to believe and obey the naked word of God. Nothing else but God's spoken word how difficult must that have been we see the plight of abraham secondly we see the promises of god and there are seven of them seven i will statements verses one through three as well as there's one found in verse seven we won't Touch too much on today seven promises and and like Michaela taught on I, I love promises and I especially love the good promises I promise to love you I promise I will never leave you well these seven promises are all wonderful the sheer extent of what God is offering to Abram is literally beyond, beyond comprehension. It, it's, it, they're so massive and they're so sweeping that apart from us actually looking back through the lens of history, we could never begin to fathom the greatness, the vastness of these words until what? They are perfectly fulfilled. And we'll look at each one of them very, very quickly, very, very briefly. The first one says what? I will show you. And I want you to note here that as bookends to these promises, comparing the first one to the last one, what begins with, I'll show you, ends with, I will give you. And God oftentimes works like that. Do you trust me? He's asked me, do you trust me? I'll show you what is good. I'll show you what is a blessing. Then I will enable you the means to possess it. Because what? Ultimately, God cares about you. It's for your good. Donald Gray Barnhouse says, It makes no difference where it is, or where is its geology or geography. If the Lord leads us there, it is the land for us. If the Lord does not lead us, it can never be the right land, even though it is paved with diamonds. So we understand what's being spoken here, that God is saying, trust me with this. I have a good plan for you. Your responsibility is simply to go. But I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. We we buy in bulk at this church through Pastor Aaron, Pastor Stewart, and Pastor Robbie all give out what Kevin DeYoung's book just do something to our students graduate from high school graduating from college just do something but i don't i don't know really what to do doesn't matter what you do is you begin motion and and, and i remember our son graduating from college and he heads off to serve the lord in kabul afghanistan there's a place to start and, and when God closed that door, in, in less than a year, because of what? He was actually literally evacuated out. He was moved to Iraq where he met his wife. And, and he kept moving to what God has for him. I don't know all the details. You don't need to know all the details. We're wrapped up with, I don't know, I don't know, pit or pen. It doesn't really matter. What matters is what God is leading you to in obedience, I know immediately, and this is a response that I hear, when we had kind, of, kind of encourage our young people to take steps of faith, radical steps of faith to move out. And, and people are like, well, you don't really know for sure. Is that really the wisest use of resources? I tell you what, it's a whole lot better use of resources than them sitting at home eating Doritos on mama's couch, playing video games, watching porn. I can assure you of that. God says, take that step of faith and I will show you. He says, I will make you a great nation. If you were to think logically, there, again, there's complete absurdity here. He's leaving a, a nation that supposedly is great. He's leaving a place of opportunity and riches and power. And yet this again speaks of the unconditional promise of god and and as we read this i'll make you a great nation we automatically kind of lean towards great nation what what is that going to be how great is it what is it going to look like wow I, i would say let's lean the other direction and focus on the i will make part we have a tendency to see life through, like, how great is it gonna be? Let's focus on God is the one who is doing the work. It's almost as if God is saying, this is so far beyond likelihood that he says, hey, Abe, I got this one. Don't worry, don't sweat. You got questions, you got fears. You leave it all. me. Thirdly, he says, I will bless you. As, As if the promises of a land, a nation, and greatness were not enough. There's something here, and this is personal. This is personal. I will bless you. Blessing carries with it the idea of what? It's going well. Life goes well. This is exactly what happened. God prospered Abraham by the time you get to the next chapter chapter 13 verse 2 it says that he was very wealthy in livestock silver and gold simply translate it means what the hand of God would be upon Abram from this point forward I'll make your name great any one of us would be ecstatic if we just heard, I'll remember your name. And you know me, I'm, I'm kind of stuck on this whole fleeting, this brevity of life thing. And I've just been pondering that. Most of us, you can probably think of it, you, you can remember, hopefully, your, your parents and your grandparents. And maybe some of you have some kind of a recollection of great-grandparents, okay? But it's pretty blurry. They're pretty old. You're pretty young. Go the opposite direction. Hopefully, I know a lot of young ones are not there yet, but, you, but you'll, hopefully, what your kids will know you. Hopefully. <laughs> and your grandchildren will know you. But again, by the time you get to your great-grandchildren, it's pretty blurry. You're pretty old. They're pretty young. Which means What? You got two generations up two generations down and you're a name on a rock that's 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 it that's fleeting not so with abram to this very day his name is not only remembered but it is recognized and it is celebrated why because god is the one who said i will Make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. Which means what? And we've touched on this. We've seen this already throughout the pages of Genesis. God's promises are ever expanding. Think about this. What happens when you hang around wise people? Proverbs chapter 13 verse 20 says, Whoever walks with wise will become wise. What happens when you hang around wise? foolish people i think proverbs is pretty clear on that as well so so what god is doing here is he is promising again the company that you keep abram the company that you keep will feel the effects of my gracious hand upon you and and it and it works very closely in the adverse which is connected to the very next i will statements i will curse those who dishonor you scripture teaches this consider okay just for a moment the enemies of god's people and god is not subtle here okay god is not shy genesis 12 verse 3 you can pick it up in Deuteronomy 30, verse 7. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 20. I will punish those that oppress them. Which means what? Hear me on this. You do not mess with the nation Israel under any circumstance. Wait a minute. Where, where are the Canaanites today? Where are the Amalekites? Where are the Hittites? Where is the Third Reich? Oh, none of them exist. Pause for a moment, just for a moment as we hear it everywhere, on the devastating danger of anti-Semitism. Pause on that. And you can go back to this promise right here. Finally, and this one is is in verse 7, it's later, but it says, I will give this land. Again, connected to the first. I will show you and I will give you. That is exactly what he has done did not know it until he enters it and it is truly a land that is flowing with milk and honey and what apart from god's hand if you know anything at all about the geography of the middle east which has been in the news as of recently there's really naturally in this particular country there's there's not a lot there take the city of jerusalem alone there's no ports there's no waterways There's not little to no oil or natural resources that are found in that region, in that specific area. And yet, for some reason, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands are continuing to return. And Israel leads in virtually every single area of medicine, agriculture, technology, cybersecurity. You don't don't mess with God's people. Finally, you've noticed the application that comes directly from this text. While we are not given a command like other places in Scripture where it says to you this morning, do this, it is not hidden, okay? It's not indirect. It's not implied. It's not subtle. It's not silent. Here it is. Like Abram believed, so should we. Just like Abram believed, so should you. Note how God said Go, And then later on, we, what, we read these words, So Abram went. Such a demonstration of faith and trust in God's sovereignty earned him a place in what we refer to as what, the, the, the hall of fame of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Again, the very thought of that action, so far removed from our thinking, so far from from logic, it would receive ridicule and mocking and criticism. What are you doing? But what God has given to us, clear promises, and he has backed it with his, his very own son's life. You do realize that? God has given to us clear instruction throughout his word. He has stamped it with his own sovereign authority. And yet what happens every day? We question it, and we doubt it, and we waver from it. Our obedience, far more than what brings the glory of God, it's for our own good. God calls us to repent. To turn from our sinfulness. To deny yourself. To follow me. And yet we hear all the time. I'm just, I'm just not ready for that yet. I don't know if, I, if, I, if I'm there yet. Hear me if you hear nothing else. You will be hurt worse. The longer you stay in your sin. God calls us to go make Disciples be baptized and to baptize others and yet again we hear well i don't know if i'm quite ready yet i don't know if i if i know enough well wait a minute it's our first visible step of what of taking god's word as his word and living in obedience god calls us to forgive one another and i hear excuses like yeah but she was really mean No, God calls us to pray for those who have hurt us and abused us, and pray for our enemies, and to even love them. God calls us to speak truth, and we hear, I'm just not a confrontation guy. You don't have the liberty to not speak truth. God has called us to that. God has called us to bear one another's burdens, and we hear what? I got a lot on my schedule. This is a busy time of the year praise God for the many that are sacrificing in service all over the place. God calls us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, and we hear what? It's kind of cold and wet and rainy. I'm not real comfortable in public. You can take that up with God, because you will meet him He's giving you his word. God calls us to forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. And yet we hear what? I'm just really, really nervous to make those kind of life changes. God calls us to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And we hear this. I just don't feel like it. Do you get nervous With the thought of obedience, yeah, so did Abraham. I have no doubt. Do you get a little bit scared when you're going into the unknown? So was Abram. Do you think that there is ever questioning on his part or wondering with Abram? Absolutely. I am quite certain that it was not easy. It was not fun. It was not comfortable, convenient. It certainly wasn't popular. But he went. Do you do as the Lord told you? Now, I'll close with this. Number three, the blessing of obedience. Any question why is this like, why is he pounding this obedient thing? Why is this obedient thing so important? What does it really matter if I respond or not? And here it is I think, personally, I think that people think. Their obedience is only about them. But note how this text ends and reads, In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now I am in no way, okay, be clear, I am in no way equating the foundational components of the Abrahamic covenant literally translate into your life. Sorry to burst your bubble. But look, I am saying that your obedience, just like Abram's, what? God is glorified, and you will be a blessing to others. Do do you do you do you know that? Like, do you care about that do you care about god above you do you care about others beside you or do you just care about you and be assured here okay it's not about ease it's not about riches but it is about blessing paul says in second corinthians 4 what The eternal weight of glory. I love that phrase. If you recall the words of God, as recorded by the prophet Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 20. And I actually wrote this on a little piece of paper and and pinned it up on my wall when I was a kid. Because the movie Chariots of Fire had just come out, and this was Eric Liddell's verse. Remember the little note they put in his pocket? you guys are too young and 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 God told Samuel this he said what I will honor those who honor me I will honor those who honor me rest in that promise and please please understand as I call you to obedience this is not to be more of a burden upon you please understand this is a blessing that is offered to you. So I trust today that you have accepted the ultimate blessing, the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that you've received him as Lord and Savior, and that you say, you know what? I'm his, and I am all his. I belong to him, and I will obey him. I will go wherever he calls me to go, and I will do that with joy. May that be our hearts cry. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word before us this morning. May you, Lord, continue to kind of stir and work within us if there's areas in our lives that we need to confess. Lord, help us to to pull someone alongside. Help us to know that we do not journey alone. Help us, Lord, not to feel just the, the, the burden of obedience, but the blessing that God has in store when we fully take that step of faith. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We love you and we thank you for your love for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.